0: On Friday, February 14, 2014, seven women go missing off of the southeast coast of Bali, Indonesia during an afternoon dive. Search and rescue efforts are unable to locate them. What happened to this group of experienced divers? And what happened to the boat that they were on? Find out on this week's episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. Hi everyone, I'm your host Alex and welcome back to Narcosis Into the Deep. This week we're covering the story of a diving group that went missing in 2014, but the title is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot to uncover in the story, including an arrest and jail sentence. And finally, at the end of the episode, I'm going to give a couple safety tips for divers to consider. On a Friday in mid-February 2014, six women rented a boat named the Ocean Express from Yellow Scuba on a beachside strip of Sanur, Bali. The seventh woman was actually one of the owners of Yellow Scuba, and she was going to be one of the dive masters on the dives. The rental of the Ocean Express also included a skipper or captain, which was perfect for this group. With the addition of the captain, The seven women would be able to go diving, and they wouldn't have to worry about piloting the boat or leaving one of their members behind to watch over the boat while the other six dove. They completed two uneventful dives that morning, and in the afternoon, they headed out for their third and final dive of the day. While it isn't explicitly mentioned anywhere, there's heavy indication that this group was doing drift dives. Now, I know this is the first time we're discussing drift diving on the podcast, so I'm gonna break it down a bit for my non-diver listeners. Drift diving is pretty self-explanatory. Divers will enter the water at one location, let the current drag them along the way throughout the dive, and then resurface at a second location. The distance between the first and second location depends on multiple factors. How long you dive, how strong the current is, etc. The captain of the boat typically follows the divers along so that when they resurface, they're close to the boat. But how does the captain know where the divers are if they're out of sight underwater? There's a couple different ways to follow the divers. Some captains will watch the air bubbles breaking on the surface and follow the divers that way. But some captains require divers to tow a surface marker buoy, or SMB. An SMB includes the iconic scuba diving flag, a red flag with a diagonal white line stretching from the top left corner to the bottom right. It's usually filled with air or foam to keep it floating at the surface, and a tow line is attached to the bottom of it. Divers will take the tow line with them down to the bottom so they can hold and pull the SMB with them. There's both pros and cons for using a surface marker buoy, but I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Which of these two options the captain chooses Following the Trail of Bubbles, or using an SMB, is based on their experience, possibly company policy, where they're diving, how many divers or diving groups they have that day, etc. For the group of women diving in Bali in February of 2014, the captain of the Ocean Express elected to follow the Trail of Bubbles. The group of seven women, two of which were dive masters, loaded on their gear and began their descent. After 30 minutes, the divers resurfaced and the ocean express was gone. It was nowhere in sight. On top of that, a sudden, powerful storm had appeared. The dive group looked for their boat, but between the heavy winds, strong rain, and large swells, or waves, they were unable to locate it. They drifted aimlessly on the surface, hoping to catch a glimpse of the boat and their captain at the top of each wave, but minutes slowly turned into hours. The group fought the heavy storm as best as they could. They floated in the water for 28 hours before finally finding a shallow reef that they could stand on and get some relief from the water. But only five of them would make it to the reef. Two of them had drifted apart from the group during the heavy storm. On Saturday night, the group had some relief from the water by standing on the shallow reef, but Sunday came and the harsh sun threatened them. They protected themselves as much as they could from the sun, and finally on Monday, a rainstorm came, providing some drinking water. They collected rainwater in their fins, drinking up as much as they could. During the day, they'd climb down to try to get out of the sun, and each night they'd climb back up to the highest point of the shallow reef and flash their distress lights, hoping to get anyone's attention. But Sunday came and went. Monday morning came and went. The group was getting more and more exhausted. They did their best to keep their spirits up while waiting for days out in the open water. Then, at about 3.30 p.m. on Monday, three days after they had gone missing, a boat finally located them. The reef they had found was 12 miles or 20 kilometers from where their dive had originated. The five women that were rescued were treated for exposure and dehydration and were, relatively speaking, in good health. They were released from the hospital on Thursday, and as they left, camera crews and media surrounded them, asking questions and just hoping to hear their story. The women bowed deeply, thanking them for their concern, and said, quote, We apologize for causing tremendous worries and trouble, end quote. In a joint statement, the women stated, quote, we told each other that we would go home alive. We encouraged each other by saying we could keep going because we'd already survived drifting in the water for 28 hours." End quote. But rewinding a bit back to Monday, only five of the women had been located. The search continued for the other two missing women, and on Tuesday, now four days after the dive, the sixth woman was located. Sadly, however, she had already passed away from exposure. The seventh diver was never located, and the search efforts were eventually called off. But what happened to the boat they had rented? Why did it seem that they were left out in the open waters alone? Not long after the recovery of the diving team, authorities sought the captain of the boat, Augustinus Kusuma, for negligence which resulted in the deaths of two Japanese divers. Augustinus faced trial, and that's when we finally learned what exactly happened on this fateful diving trip. Are you searching for a new true crime podcast to listen to? Then search no further than Military True Crime Addict. David Kokish walks you through a plethora of actual military true crime stories that have never been reported on by news outlets or media. Each episode features a detailed account of true crime that in some way relates to our military, veterans, and their extended families. There will also be an abundance of episodes on serial killers with a military background that you will not believe. Military True Crime Attic provides a voice to victims so you can hear their side of the story and it raises awareness for the terrible crimes and those most impacted. You don't need to know anything about the military to enjoy this podcast, so what are you waiting for? Go listen to Military True Crime Addict now. Augustinus, who was unable to afford a defense lawyer, represented himself during his trial. The captain states he lost track of the divers when a storm hit suddenly. He was following the path of bubbles the seven divers were leaving, but when it started to rain heavily, he was no longer able to locate them. After searching for the divers for an hour, Augustinus noticed he was low on fuel and decided to head back to the shore to fill up. He returned to the original dive location two hours later. After searching more for the divers and unable to locate them, he finally reported them missing. The prosecutor stated that Augustinus should have reported the divers missing on shore when he went to fill up. His delay in reporting only delayed search and rescue efforts, and his abandonment of the divers ultimately led to two deaths. On Tuesday, July 8, 2014, almost five months after the diving trip, the captain of the Ocean Express, Augustinus Kusuma, was found guilty of negligence and was sentenced to three years' imprisonment. After receiving the verdict, Augustinus stated through tears, quote, I apologize. I did not intentionally do this. It was just because of the bad weather, end quote. During the trial, he had stated, quote, There was no intention to leave the victims. I tried to search for them through the afternoon until my boat ran out of fuel. I decided to buy more fuel and searched for them again. I stayed overnight at the site until morning, end quote. Drift diving can be tricky. The area the divers were in, Nusa Panida, is a popular dive site because the waters are crystal clear and it provides an opportunity for divers to see the rare ocean sunfish. However, this site is also known for its treacherous currents. A number of fatal accidents have occurred in this area, but the two dive masters and the boat's captain were locals and knew the area well. If you ever plan on diving at a new place that you're traveling to, it's always best to research the company that you're hiring. I know it's easy to always try to find the cheapest option and go with that, but diving can be dangerous and you need to consider your safety. If you're unsure of anything, don't be afraid to call the company up and ask them a few questions before booking them. In this instance, the divers were drift diving and the captain elected to follow their bubbles. This is a common practice, but it's also common to use a surface marker buoy like I mentioned earlier in the episode. However, these buoys have their pros and cons. As I described earlier, these buoys float at the surface and divers take a tow line with them. The buoy will follow them along the surface, making it easy to identify where the divers are located while they're underwater. However, these tow lines can get snagged on moving vessels if the towline is fastened to the diver, it can pull the diver upwards, potentially at an unsafe speed, putting the diver at moderate to severe risk of decompression sickness. If there's a strong current, the diver might have to abandon the buoy to avoid being swept upwards in the arc. Another hazard to consider is the loose line could cause entanglement. A diver's equipment can snag even on a taut line, and in most cases, this does not prevent the diver from resurfacing, but it is possible to snag on both the diver and a part of the fixed environment. On a dive, it's always best practice to bring a decompression buoy. When inflated, these long, safety orange tubes stand tall. Deployment of a decompression buoy may be done from the bottom as an aid to ascent and as a signal indicating position from mid-water to indicate position, maintaining decompression depth, and warn boat traffic, or at the surface as a means of attracting attention. Had these divers had a decompression buoy, they could have blown them up at the surface in attempt to get the boat's attention. I'm going to be posting a couple photos of these different buoys on our Instagram page at narcosispod. I also mentioned this in an earlier episode, but I can't recommend it enough. Get an Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon, or EPIRB for short. This device is used to alert search and rescue services in the event of an emergency. The device itself can be a little pricey, running between $200 and $1,500 depending on the model, but it's a small price to pay if it's something that can one day save your life. The good news is is that these devices work on government-funded search and rescue satellites, so no monthly or annual subscriptions are required. EPIRB's work internationally. I know this story was tragic, but I would like to emphasize that it's a relatively rare occurrence. It's always important to check the weather before each and every dive. But in this instant, due to the location of the dive plus the storm, the surviving divers described the current, quote, like a washing machine, end quote. Therefore, their movements would not be predictable by the boat's captain. Even in a storm, currents are usually predictable for experienced captains. There have been other instances where a storm has hit suddenly, but these well-experienced captains have turned a potential tragedy into another uneventful dive thanks to their training and safety precautions. Don't ever let a tragedy prevent you from having a great experience. I would also like to mention again that the divers survived because they were able to find a shallow reef to stand on. But please, please, please never do this unless it's an emergency. Too many times have I seen snorkelers stand on top of a reef to clear their mask and it crushes my heart every single time. Part of the reason why I started this podcast was to present cases like this not only to raise awareness in diving and boating, but also to promote safety. As a diver, I feel it's my personal obligation to warn new divers about sea life. If you ever decide to join us in this hobby, please never touch coral. It's a living organism, and touching it will kill it. I'm happy to announce that we've partnered with the Reef Restoration Foundation, a nonprofit located in Australia. This nonprofit foundation collects coral that's been broken off, rehabilitates and grows it, and skilled divers reattach it to the reef. The work they do is amazing and it helps the Great Barrier Reef. You can learn more about them at reefrestorationfoundation.org. I've created my own designs and started selling a Save Our Reefs line of products. 100% of the profits from this line goes to the Reef Restoration Foundation. You can find more information about the foundation and the products in the episode's description. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. I'm your host, Alex, and if you have any questions about this week's episode, you can head over to our Instagram page at NarcosisPod or on our Discord server. Shirts and coffee mugs are now available. You can find merchandise for sale on our website, NarcosisPod.com. I also set up a Patreon for the podcast, so for just $3 a month or the price of one coffee, you can vote on what to hear next, get exclusive updates, get a shout out at the end of the next episode, and get 10% off merchandise. Thank you so much to my newest patrons, Sean F. and Lucas T. Your support helps the podcast tremendously, so thank you so much again, and I'll see you all next week.